0: Welcome to episode 26 of the Alan Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen and we are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to news and current events as we seek to live for Christ. And this is a milestone episode of the Alan Badger podcast as we welcome our first special guest Dave Brennan to the show. For those of you who don't know who Dave is, he is a director at the Centre for Bioethical Reform and he heads up BREFOS, a project committed to helping churches respond to abortion. Helen and I want our listeners to know that we recognise the topic of abortion can be very painful for some, it's pastorally sensitive for sure but it's also a subject that is too easily seen as taboo and we cannot, as followers of Jesus Christ, ignore or shy away from the gravity and consequences of abortion. So, Dave, it's really great to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. And before we get into some of the areas we'd like to cover with you, um, we'd love it if you could just give us a a brief overview of Brefos, please.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Helen. And, um, well, really, you've given a... A fantastic introduction, just just now. Um, the word "brephos" uh, is actually a Greek word. It's the New Testament Greek word that's used um, at a number of uh, points in the New Testament to, to denote both babies in the womb um, and babies outside of the womb. So simply, it means infant or um, child, baby. And uh, we find it, for example, in Luke chapter one. Uh, John the Baptist leaping for joy in the womb. Hmm. He's a breathos. Hmm. Um, at that point, probably about six months along uh, in the pregnancy. Yeah. And then in Luke chapter two, we, we find Jesus um, wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And the word that we translate there generally as baby, lying in a manger. That's also breathos. So this same word really used before birth and after birth for me encapsulates God's heart for the unborn child and how he sees the unborn child as really equal with uh, the newborn child. And so that's that's where the name comes from, really. And that's very much at the heart of what the Brefos Project is about, is trying to help churches and Christians to see the unborn child as God sees the unborn child. And of course, if we get that straight, um, the, the issue of abortion um, will make sense. Um, But if we don't understand what the unborn child is, it's never going to make sense. Yeah. So really that's, that's the idea and um, that's the project. And we've been going for about five years now, um, together with my wife, uh, we we started the BREFOS project as a new ministry Mm -hmm. to help churches to respond to abortion. And that ministry, uh, yeah, sort of belongs within uh, a wider organization called CBR UK. That's the Center for Bioethical Reform. So that's what we've been doing for the last few years trying to help churches to teach in particular real emphasis on the pulpits because as you say it's one of those issues that so easily can be overlooked and and it is a taboo subject we don't hear much about um, in the church yeah yeah oh that's
0: that's really that's great and um it's just great to have that that context as well as to what we're going to be chatting to you about now so awesome
2: yeah thank you dave so at Brefos, you're bringing the subject of abortion into the light. Um, what would you say are the realities of abortion that we need to understand?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. And I think that's, that's so important because I found both in the church and outside, um, although people don't want to talk about abortion, when the issue is raised, there's a, there's a kind of barrage of opinions and emotions and reactions. But rarely do we sort out, well, what even is it? What is abortion? And it's so important we start there. We need to start with the reality. Now, the thing about abortion is, the word itself is a euphemism. Abortion just sounds like, um, I mean, you, you, you abort a mission, right? You, <laughs> mm-hmm. you might abort a project, or um, you, know, you terminate contracts, okay? But these words, abortion, termination, they're used really to, to cover the reality of what's going on. Um, because although it's termed healthcare, it's a medical procedure, these are the sorts of terms we'll see in the NHS, the abortion providers, they'll say, look, it's a very quick procedure, it's over in 15 minutes. Mm. And about as much detail as you'll get is, this is a way to um, end a pregnancy, or you know, this is a procedure that's taken place to make sure a baby isn't born. Now, the reality is, what's going on is there there are two different kinds of um abortion uh, in in the UK you've got surgical abortion and medical abortion now about 20% of abortions in the UK are surgical and um i'm i'm you know it's important we start here and so uh, i don't want to apologize um for this because this is this is this needs to be said it needs to be understood but just to warn listeners it's not easy to hear this um, but what takes place in a surgical abortion is that metal tools are used, according to the stage of gestation, to essentially um, dismember uh, the unborn child alive without anaesthetic, um, and to and to bring each piece out of the womb um, and and onto the the, the table. So um, there's something called a sharp curette, which is like a, a short little uh, a sort of a, a long stick with a, a little knife at the end that's used to sort of scrape and cut um in indiscriminately in the womb Uh, later stages something like uh, akin to forceps tongs used to literally pull the child limb from limb um, and the the pieces of the child have to be rearranged on the table to make sure that there's there's nothing left inside the womb because that can lead to infection at later stages you can't even do that and so what happens in later stages of surgical abortion is a, a lethal injection to the heart is applied. Um, potassium chloride so painful that you can't even use that on um, animals to put them down or, or criminals on death row in, in America, unless they're anesthetized first, but the unborn child doesn't receive anesthetic. And uh, so f- fatal injection to the heart followed by essentially delivery of the child that's what happens in surgical and in medical abortion um also known as pills by post we might come back to that uh nowadays frequently sent through the letterbox and uh, it's one pill that's taken to cut off the supply of nutrients to the unborn child um and then about a day later the second pill taken to eject the the the, the body of 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 the child um and that's frequently in this country now happening far away from medical attention and um and then that 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 body has to be disposed of so this is the harsh reality of what is cloaked um by the term abortion uh, and something which is just listed as one of the procedures that you can get for free on the nhs indeed it's been said it's the it's the most commonly performed elective procedure on the nhs
0: really wow
1: and yet, so few of us are aware of the harsh realities of of what takes place
2: mm.
0: it's it's violent essentially, mm. isn't it sadly it's
1: uh oh. yep. mm. yeah. and of course, it's not the first time in history we've seen violence covered with a euphemism mm. yes, and uh, in fact, some of the terminology is frighteningly similar to um what what we you know um read about in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties you know we we read about Lives not worthy of life, uh, mm-hmm. mercy killings. We hear about termination. You know mm-hmm. uh, the final solution. All these sorts of uh, words used to suggest this is this is solving a problem. This is this is making things better. But what it's covering, as you say, is is violence. And so it's not healthcare. It's the very opposite. It's it's the only uh, procedure on the NHS that will actually deliberately end a healthy life. Um, rather than actually provide some kind of therapeutic care.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow.
2: It's really hard to listen to, but like you said, I think it's important that we understand the realities we're talking about. Mm. What what kind of numbers are we talking about?
1: Yeah. So in this country, um, and we can talk about the global scene, but in this country, um, since 1967, we've we've just passed quite a significant land landmark, actually, of 10 million. Uh, in England and Wales. Um, so that's 10 million since 67. Um, and to try and put that in perspective last year, again, highest number of abortions, uh, more than 215,000, uh, abortions in England and Wales. And that accounts for something like one in four babies. So if you compare with the live birth stats, uh, live births were something in the region of 650,000. I haven't got the exact figure to, to hand, but it's, it's in the sort of six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand 700,000 mark. So that is to say for every three babies born alive in the UK last year, one baby was killed in the womb. So I think that there can be uh, this idea that abortion is only sort of, you know, resorted to in the most extreme of circumstances it's sort of safe, legal, and rare. That was certainly the rhetoric back in the sixties. In reality, it's being used in the main um, as a kind of retroactive contraception. Mm. That's not to say that it's necessarily approached lightly. What I'm saying is that according to the government statistics, more than 98% of abortions are performed against healthy babies and healthy mothers. There's no medical problem and the overwhelming majority of those are consenting adults they're not underage girls that you know the the average age of a woman having an abortion is about 21 and it keeps getting higher and higher so this is being accessed in the main as a sort of retroactive contraception that that, that's the sort of scale we're talking about here
2: Mm. cool and when we hear um We've heard a lot, particularly over the last few years, about um, from the pro-choice movement things like "my body, my choice," and then the talking of um, about you know it's just a just a bunch of cells, as if you know it's not a developed human being yet. What what are some of the arguments that the pro-choice movement use?
1: Yes, well, it's interesting because I, I, don't, I don't I don't want to sound sort of snarky, but. I don't hear many arguments from the pro-choice movement. The the pro-choice movement have some slogans, like my body, my choice, uh, a right to choose. Um, But very frequently, I find them resistant to engaging in anything like reasonable dialogue and and putting forth uh, an argument. Um, Generally, um, the... The tactics appear to be more along the lines of trying to silence debate. Um, That will include uh, trying to disqualify the people who are speaking, Um, be that, oh, because you're a man or because, uh, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, we we do public education work out on the streets and just the other day, I mean, (laughs) it's quite funny because one of them wanted to disqualify half of us because we are male. And then when it came to the women, she said, "And you should know better. <laughs> so, you know, you couldn't get it right if you're a man or a woman. Um, but very frequently, this is the, this is what we find, that they want to silence debate. They want to keep attention away from the baby in the womb, deny it's even there. It's just a bunch of cells, whatever. Um, and, and, and just say, this has nothing to do with you. It's just a woman's right to choose. When you actually examine these claims, they're hardly even arguments. Um. They just don't stand under scrutiny, and I think that's why they resist open, honest debate um, so fiercely, because t- take, for example, my body my choice," which you could, is is sort of an argument, sort, sort of a, a, a syllogism of, 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 of a sort. Um, it, in In five seconds, we can show from just medical science alone, alone you know looking at scripture, it's, a, it's consensus right across the the, um, the scientific community that what we have in the womb is a distinct living human being. The DNA formed at fertilization is unique. It's different from the father's, different from the mother's, thus proving it is not part of the mother. It's, it's not her body. It's in her body, but it's not her body. And uh, that's just undeniable. You know, you can see that right from biological sex to blood type, uh, independent heartbeats from three weeks, there's a heart beating. Mm. And it's that's independent of the mother's. So it's ever so clear it's not her body. Um, so, so really these, these slogans don't stand up under scrutiny, but it's not difficult to see the kind of spirit and the ideology they're springing from. It is uh, really um, the exaltation of self, you know? So this mm-hmm. kind of, it's up to me, it's choice, it's autonomy. I'm sovereign, I choose what happens in my life, even if they're to be honest, and, and occasionally they are honest enough to say, even to the point of taking the life of another that's my right yeah uh, because i am in charge and i i decide um what happens
0: yeah yeah it's um i mean when you when you hear the happy news from a a couple who i've have had a <clears throat> 12, 12 week scan i i've yet to hear somebody say oh we're going to have a fetus or we're going mm. to have you know some cells which may become a baby it's always we are going to have a baby and it's a wonderful thing um and there's that disconnect there isn't there with this 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 pro-choice notion which is yeah so flawed
1: yeah yeah and and i think you know sometimes you find that disconnect even you know from the very same Person, perhaps most prominently, uh, Stella Creasy, Labour MP, who will speak very candidly um, and I would say quite movingly about her own um, baby loss through miscarriage. And she'll talk about the baby's heartbeat. She'll talk about death. She'll talk about when the baby can begin to hear music in the womb and so on. But then the very same person is an avid supporter and campaigner for um, what she would call abortion rights. And in that context, you don't hear anything about the baby. It's mm. as if the baby doesn't exist because we don't want it to. Yeah. And this is the, yeah, the incredible sort of cognitive dissonance. Um, and really it's that sort of post-truth mentality, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. uh, if yeah. there's a baby there, if I want it to be, uh, if I don't want it to be, there's no baby anymore. And that is relativism. That's this subjective, you know, I decide not only what's right and wrong, but, but reality itself um and and this is really i think uh fulfillment of what we read in Romans chapter 1 um people being handed over to a depraved mind mm-hmm. to the futility of their thinking um although they claim to be wise they became fools and this you know we live in an age that that, that really flatters itself for being so advanced and technologically um you know uh, intelligent um and we'd like to think it follows the science, but actually, um, <laughs> it's definitely uh, not following the science here. Mm.
0: Yes,
2: we've been Just following thinking, something.
0: Dave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just thinking about um, what you were saying there from scripture, um, and at the beginning when you were talking about the meaning of breathos, and you spoke about um, John the Baptist in the womb when. Um, he was, I think, was it around about six months old mm. when, at the approach, when Mary was approaching with um, the baby Jesus inside of her, who probably was only a few weeks old, and John the Baptist in the womb, in the womb, leapt for joy mm. at the presence of his of Jesus, his savior, coming towards him, um, which is an amazing picture. Um, are there some aspects of you know the biblical theology of the unborn that you can tell us a bit more about
1: Mm, yeah thanks for raising that one that that's one of my favorite passages because you know it's one of the examples we have of um of somewhat anachronistically we could use this term personhood um but but you know what's in the womb is a living human being that is morally significant we see that in psalm 51 you know um David refers to himself as being sinful from conception, so there's a, there's a kind of moral significance to what's in the womb. Um, but we even see, you know, babies responding to things uh, in the womb, and uh, John the Baptist, as you say, leaping for joy um, uh, at the proximity of his saviour. It's 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 wonderful. Um, you you can read um, account after account in scripture of of life in the womb and and things going on in the womb. Uh, you, I think of you know Jacob and Esau in the womb um also is it uh is it is it Tamar i think also who had twins um in Genesis um and 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 you you hear about babies tussling together in the womb you hear about mm. you know one almost comes out but then the other one gets out first and <laughs> and and what what's really striking about these and i think that this is with John the Baptist as well and i think Psalm 139 is talking about this it's just the overwhelming sense of continuity it's not as though there's something different in the womb and then the moment something comes out all of a sudden life has begun and here's the person know, there's a continuity almost personality you know in the womb you know the way jacob uh grasps the heel of um of esau mm. and that, that being a sort of figurative um you know refers to being a deceiver um that's what he was like later in life. And 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 there's this kind of, co- and same John the Baptist leaping for joy. Why was he leaping for joy? Well, the, the one around whom his whole life ministry would revolve, the Lord Jesus, his relative, was there in the womb. He leapt for joy. And what do we see later in life? He continues to be um, ecstatic about Jesus. So I think there's this amazing continuity um, which, which we see Uh, played out biologically you know it's not as though there's some massive developmental step that takes place at birth or even at any stage but there's this gradual beautiful majestic unfolding of life um, and the sophistication of of the unborn child in terms of the you know biologically the sophistication that that unfolds very rapidly and by about 10 weeks they have almost all the organs that you and i have today um even though they're still only about that size you know maybe five six centimeters so it's it's a a wonderful parallel, biologically in terms of personality certainly spiritually there's a real continuity from um within the womb and outside um the psalmist speaks of of um you know from the womb you've been my god you i trusted you at my mother's breast and so again spiritually it seems that um the unborn can respond to god in some way There's mystery there. I can't necessarily um, explain all of that, but I think it does challenge our perhaps quite Western obsession with intellectual capacities. And I think we all too easily equate personhood with um, essentially intelligence or at least reasoning Mm -hmm. capacity Mm -hmm. or awareness, consciousness, we make a big deal of that and, and we're therefore prone to look down on uh, perhaps people with um, dementia, people towards the end of life um, and, and spiritually even, I think we, we can, even as Christians within the church, I think we can underestimate what children are capable of in terms of mm. responding to God spiritually. Yeah. Um, I think we make the intellect the sort of, the gateway for that um, and I think that's unwarranted um, and umbilical.
0: Yeah, it's certainly an idol Intellect is, is yeah. an idol I think in 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 some cases. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I think so and I think I think sometimes, you know, um articulation of doctrine is accepted as a substitute for um I think how the Bible sees authentic faith, which is yes, it, there's an intellectual component to it, but why does Jesus say we have to become like little children? Mm if we want to even enter the kingdom of heaven, I don't think it means we stop thinking, but it does mean I think that the very essence of faith is is not really to be found in, in the intellect. And maybe children are even better placed to exercise real faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, that maybe they're better placed to do that than we are, and that perhaps is what Jesus is getting at there. So yeah, I, I I love these sort of windows into the womb that we get um, biblically. Um, my, my friend and colleague Tim Lewis is actually doing a whole sort of PhD on this, um, what the, the Bible has to say about the unborn child, and um, we we've done it, one or two podcasts on on that subject. But um, there's a lot to look at, a lot to look at in Job, a lot to look at in the Psalms, Genesis, and of course in in, in the New Testament as we've said. But um, It's quite amazing, actually, how much scripture has to say about life in the womb, given that we might look back at that time in history and and call it a (laughs) pre-scientific age. Well, they certainly didn't have... They didn't even have ultrasound, let alone, you know, what we have these days, 4D scans and all the rest of it. And yet um, they took life in the womb. The biblical writers, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took life in the womb very, very seriously.
2: I remember... um... I think the only time I've heard from, from the front of church the issue of abortion being talked about, um, my vicar once years ago, who spoke about, um, he said about the thousands of children who are every year sacrificed on the altar of convenience. That's mm-hmm. how he put it. And that really spoke to me very powerfully. Um, and in scripture, we, we know that the sacrifice of children is an abomination to God. So why do you think we fail as Christians too often to recognise the significance of this?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, because as you say, Scripture takes it very seriously. Uh, Psalm 106, Ezekiel 20, Jeremiah 7. Um, it seems the Lord actually reserves his his the sort of his strongest terminology for his, for his own reaction uh, for this. You know, he calls it an abomination. It says it caused him to abhor his own inheritance when they did it, when Israel did it um cut off their prayers he said I, I won't let you i won't let you inquire of me if you when when you sort of continue in this practice so you're absolutely right it's it's the, the and, and probably it's the final straw that sent uh god's people into exile um you know um into the babylonian exile so yeah it's, it's hard to overstate how seriously god takes it and yet as the church in the uk today it's it's not even close to the top of our our list of concerns. I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. I think. I think we we underestimate um, spiritual warfare. Actually, I think we mm-hmm. underestimate the reality of idolatry. Um, whether that's in the church or in the nation, I think we've probably believed to some extent. Um, the. The, the the message of of secularism that would like to say, well, you know, you Christians, you're you're religious, you're in that corner over there, you have faith, you have m- morality, whatever, um, spirituality, but the rest of us are just objective, rational, and this yeah, is healthcare. Yeah, yeah, I think to some yeah. extent we've believed that. Um, I think we've we've bought the lie that abortion is healthcare. I think at the very heart of of the abortion issue, as I say, is is the unborn child. Uh, the nature of the unborn child the value of the unborn child and that itself is something the church doesn't take very seriously i mean if we really believed it if we really believed that the unborn child is made in the image of god just like the rest of us then we ought to be responding as if two hundred and fifteen thousand toddlers were being lined up every year and put to death for any or no reason yeah yeah there shouldn't be a, a difference in our response and yet almost all of us are not responding in that way so so yeah a lack of awareness of spiritual warfare and, and and in that you know the intense hatred and proactivity of Satan who who really um is thirsty for the blood of of especially of innocent children I mean he, he wants to steal kill and destroy any and everything but he, he you know, biblically we see um be it through the the genocide of the Hebrew um, boys, which was an attempt to get to Moses, uh, the the massacre of of the innocents under King Herod, which was an attempt to get Jesus, who was the the the, the deliverer, that Moses was a a sort of um, a type of. Um, in Revelation, we see the the dragon, you know, waiting for the baby to be mm-hmm. born so that um, he could devour uh, the child. So, so Satan is is especially interested in human sacrifice in particular child sacrifice um it's a it's a demonic thing but i don't think the western church and certainly the uk church takes demonic activity very seriously i think we're quite sort of deaf and blind really to it so there's that there's the the we've we've bought the dehumanizing of the the unborn child we don't take um that seriously but i think there's also a a sort of a, a moral resistance, if I can put it that way. You know, I think apathy um, is sometimes due to a lack of understanding, but 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 in many cases, and this can be very um, subliminal. We we may not be conscious of this, but I think deep in our hearts we intuit just how costly something is going to be. If we look into something, if we take a stand on something. Um, you know it's going to come back and bite us in various ways and i think the gravity of this issue i mean if it's true if it's true that these these children are just the same as if it was toddlers or whatever well then it's massive isn't it yeah, it huge. means i can't it's really huge. just carry on my life um as if this isn't happening and so i think there can be a sort of um uh, you know a, a um a sort of moral inertia, if I can put it that way. We we sort of, we're scared of, of really facing up to this. Um, and it is the, it is the great injustice of our day, you know? So, so you look back in, in history and you see that whether it's apartheid or the transatlantic slave trade or the rise of the Nazi party or whatever it might be. um, Although by God's grace, it was often, um, God's people who rose up to speak against the evils of the day. We at the same time see, um, a sort of parallel trend, which is the mainstream church and most of mainstream society doesn't want to know. Mm -hmm. They don't Um, want to touch this mm. because it's costly, you know? And so I think, um, I think there's, there's a, there's a fear of man that kind of manifests as this kind of apathy, this kind of, I want to, I'm going to stay out of this. And, um, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so hard to get churches and and, and Christians to look at this stuff because um, it, it comes with a sort of yeah I guess a price tag if we're going to really respond to it honestly
0: yeah I, 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 yeah it's I think what's been striking one of the things that's been striking over the last sort of three years has been how um, many Many Christians, you know, went went above and beyond to do things like social distance, you know, protect granny, not hug, not sing, not take communion, under the pretext that this might save a life, mm. and yet have this obliviousness mm. to the sheer weight of numbers of lives mm. lost to abortion and the need to speak out for that and and it makes me it makes me just ponder over and over again how have we got to this point
1: point?
0: Mm. and i think that ties in with what you're saying dave about you know i think the church can be comfortable with the things that the world is comfortable with yeah. which is why we were ready to not sing and do all those things but yeah do you have any other thoughts on that
1: yeah i think i you know i think discrepancies like that are so important to pay attention to because they can reveal what's really going on in our hearts you know so so the on the face of it pretty much every church up and down the country was citing the golden you know the royal law love your neighbors yourself Mm -hmm. uh, which is a biblical thing and their interpretation of that is therefore as you say we'll wear a mask maybe get the jab uh, we'll stay away from people. Um, we essentially we won't do very much, you know. We, we yeah. you know, now quite apart from whether any of that stuff was effective, um, at the very least you'd expect a consistency to dictate. Okay, if you're willing to do those things, and let's let's be generous. Let's say that you know those things did save some lives. Um, even at the height, and even if we believe all the stats in in the form in which we find them at the height of um you know these COVID 19 waves and so on and these are people who died with covid not necessarily of it etc mm, yeah but even if we take it all at face value it's still nothing compared to the global baby genocide that is ongoing every week and has been for decades it doesn't even come close and so at the very least we'd expect okay well okay you've got love your neighbor there and and you're willing to pay a price for it. So why not here? And yet there is no consistency. It's not even close. And I think what that reveals to us is is quite disturbing actually, because it shows that whilst it looks like you're being biblical and you can claim that you're being biblical because you're taking some words from the Bible and it looks like you're applying them. The reality is quite a different spirit is dictating what you're doing there because you're not willing to, to follow that same, uh, biblical command where where actually, you know, um, it would be far more warranted. Uh, you know, the, the, these, these victims are uh, younger, more vulnerable. Um, abortion definitely kills them. I mean, that's, there's no doubt that's the yes. cause of death. Yeah. You know, it's, it's on every score, the need here is greater and yet they don't want to know. And I think, I think that shows, and I think this goes for also a, in a sl- slightly, slightly different, but related trend we can observe you know many uh christian movements and charities and so on that say they're all about justice you know we want to Mm -hmm. do biblical justice and so on but what you notice is they'll touch all the issues that they'll be commended for by society at large and they won't touch any of the ones that they'll get persecuted for so again is it really biblical justice that's driving that or is it actually the spirit of the age and and um, what people will approve of, um, and so I, th- I think it's very important. And I'm, I, it, it grieves me that the church in our nation isn't taking the time to take stock, look back over the last couple of years, and say what. So what, what did we do there, and why did we do mm-hmm. it, and who was that for? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sad that a lot of churches, it seems, just want to move on as if nothing's happened. But that's, that's not how we're going to learn. And yeah. And observe what's really dictating our behaviours because really i can not I c I can't I can't believe that it's as simple as, you know, that was all of us trying to apply the biblical command to love our neighbours ourselves.
0: Yeah. That that's a really great point about consistency or the lack of consistency. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that certainly should be a <clears throat> a wake-up call for us in the church, say, look, we've we've got to be consistent in mm-hmm. our application of of Scripture as we seek to live for Christ, because otherwise there's something deeply, deeply wrong, and uh, there is something deeply, deeply yeah. wrong. Um, and 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 this kind of would, I guess, lead lead on to a little bit about um, the uh, the buffer the buffer zones that are around some abortion clinics. And um, I was uh, watching uh, actually a recent. Podcast you did, I think, um, where the, the views of the Archbishop of Canterbury seem to be quite concerning about this, and they mm. they seem to it, again it seemed to lack consistency because I, th- I yep. believe he talked about love, and I and I, I was thinking, well, where's the love for the unborn in mm. in in this one? So yeah, it'd just be great to hear your thoughts about this and about about the the importance of of these buffer zones.
1: Yeah, so for those who, who aren't aware, so bu- these buffer zones are areas that have been sort of um, mapped out around um, abortion clinics. So so the the centres where these babies are, are deliberately killed through pills or, or, or surgical procedures. And um, up until now, we've just had uh, one or two here, three or four there, uh, individual clinics that have managed to get these areas put around them through sort of local bylaws, effectively PSPOs and that sort of thing. Um, so I think the first was um, Ealing, uh, and then okay. it was uh, Richmond, Bournemouth, Birmingham, and, and up until now been about four or five in the country. But there's a bill going through Parliament, and it's nearly finished uh, to impose national buffer zones. To, so every single centre and clinic in the country right. would have well, these. So these are typically sort of 150 mm-hmm. metres radius, um, and they're designed to stop any kind of um, pro-life um, activity whatsoever, including even silent prayer, um, but, you know, handing out of information, educational stuff, offer of help, um, any kind of uh, a- anything. So, so we're not really talking about protest here. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone who protests outside clinics. We're talking about education, information, offer of help prayer that's what's being made illegal and um i believe it's the first time prayer has ever been made illegal in a public space in the uk it's it's, um,
0: it's making it making thought crime a reality that's right
1: it? yeah it is It is thought crime that's right and um since actually we did that podcast uh, about um the archbishop's um opinion on the matter which we'll come back to in just a second but uh, since then the case we were referring to so a friend of mine isabel was arrested for for praying silently on her own. Actually, after, um, you know, this is a after five pm, so the clinic wasn't even open. But she was arrested, and there was also a Catholic priest who was arrested for, um, uh, for uh, the crime of having a bumper sticker saying "Unborn Lives Matter" on his car. Wait, was um, that was that in this country? That was yeah, that was here as well. Mm, yeah. No way. Now they've both been acquitted. They've both um they've both been declared not guilty. Uh, and that's just very recent news. So I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's you know, that those particular cases have come back in that way. But um, time will tell how that's going to be sort of brought back to, well, what, what, what's going to happen with these national buffer zones? But yeah, I mean, this is very significant for a number of reasons. And I think the the the, the response of Justin Welby, and this was from a, two or three years ago when, you yeah, know, before it was really coming out through parliament to go national, but that was always the, the idea, that was always the, the the agenda. And um and Justin Welby said that he supported these buffer zones and, and and the reason he gives is well, you know, we're called to love people. And there are so many problems with that. Mm. You know, what does love mean? and who are the people i mean you know <laughs> the two key <laughs> the two key terms are, are not defined mm. there yeah
0: definitely um,
1: you know love love without truth is is not love really and you know so this idea that you you love a woman by encouraging her abortion or by by not giving her even an, another way out uh, not giving her the truth not praying for her i mean is th- is this christian love christian love is staying away from her when she is stumbling towards in many cases, ignorantly, you know, not, not being told the truth, maybe under coercion, maybe there's a boyfriend or her parents just marching her down there saying, this is what you need to do. We know many women are acting under coercion. And the Archbishop of Canterbury is suggesting that the loving thing to do is to leave her to it, not even try and peacefully offer an alternative, not tell her the truth, not even pray for her. And that's not even to mention the, the baby in her womb what does it mean to love that baby? Yeah. Um so so it's and again, it's it's it sounds Christian. It sounds biblical because the Bible says a lot about loving people. But if we don't define those terms biblically, we we might flatter ourselves we're being biblical, we're being Christian, you know, we're being compassionate. But it's not. It's it's the very opposite, actually. It's 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 this um it's what we read again and again in the scriptures of the, the false prophets who who you know, say peace, peace where there mm. is no peace? You yep. know, they, they say nice-sounding things um, that that tickle people's ears, but it's not the truth of God. And so, it's very disturbing to see any any Christian leader buying that narrative that the loving thing to do is to to, to leave um, is to stay out of the way when when child sacrifice is taking um, place. But but. but it, but you know, hand in hand with that is is again adopting the mainstream narrative, you know, referring to abortion as if it's healthcare. And the Bishop of Manchester did that, talked about this as being healthcare. Um so again, it's just at so many levels, it's it's just yeah, you know, Martin Luther King referred to this as um the church being a thermometer rather than a thermostat. So we're just reflecting the temperature. Mm-hmm. We're just we're just mirroring what's out there rather than setting the temperature. And we were called to be salt and light. You know, if we're just here to echo everything the world's saying, well, what, what's even the point? You know, why are we, why are we here? They don't need us for that. They've got each other for that. We ought to be bringing the truth of God, uh, a salty witness. And um, so it, yeah, buffer zones really matter because um, they save life, you know, the, the buffer zones will cost lives and um, clinic uh, prayers and witness and education save lives. You know, we all all the pro-life organizations who've been involved outside clinics and we're we're one of them um can testify to that you know real life babies are are here today by god's grace because of that kind of work and the abortion industry knows that and that's why they want to get rid of us um and so they make up all these false charges of harassment and intimidation not a single one of them is true because those are already crimes in the uk you don't need to invent a new law to stop harassment or intimidation the law already um, is against those things so it's it's yeah it's it's a real um, bundle of lies and and especially sad to see um, you know a prominent church leader um, going along with those lies rather than um, challenging them
0: yeah no it is it is it is really sad and, and and again it's that inconsistency isn't it it's like the in- inconsistency of the the abortion industry if you like saying mm. well we're prepared to end a life In the womb, and then if that um, that lady is has her mind changed because she gets support because people who are praying outside the clinic, and then has her baby and grows up, well, what's is the abortion industry going to offer to terminate the life then? If not, why not? I mean, Mm -hmm. this it's it's glaring,
1: isn't it? It's it's in your face, literally. The, and also the the, the, the the discrepancy between claiming to be pro-choice, but this is all about removing choice yeah, this is, this yeah, is giving yeah. people the choice to, yes. to to go down other other routes, but the, the abortion industry is not interested in that they, they just they, there's only one choice they're interested in
0: and this is why it's so important as for for Christians to to, to be aware of this and to and to have these um, this understanding these arguments laid out in in your own mind so that we can actually contribute towards what is a, such a vital vital issue because it does seem that increasingly sadly in in some churches at least that that we tend to seem to be governed by feelings rather than by doctrine or belief um, and truth and we've got we've got to find a way to uh, to change that haven't we
1: yeah absolutely um yeah that, that i mean i i often chuckle at the fact that c.s lewis who who you know who lived decades ago spoke about his age as being over sentimental you know people you know losing the rigor of what's actually true and i wonder what he'd make of 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 us today <laughs> you know where it's you know even down to as we said the you know whether or not we acknowledge there to be a baby in the womb well if I feel like I'm ready to be a mother, then there is a baby. If I feel like I'm not, well, there isn't. Um, and all too often, yeah, the church has kind of just gone along with that mentality and, and, and stayed out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly a, a it's certainly a challenging topic to to bring up in churches, which is I think w- why we don't see that. And, and again, I'm kind of struck by, you know, churches ones I've been a part of included you know very happy to talk about acceptable topics you know could be uh, they might talk about climate change or social justice or or the love of God and uh, why is it that the church generally speaking because I know there are exceptions to this but generally speaking find it so hard to talk about vital subjects such as abortion
1: Yeah, so I think that's a, a really important question I think in addition to what we've already mentioned so you know I think there's a lack of biblical worldview in mm. terms of um, you know what the unborn child is and you know seeing the spiritual realities and so on but I think there is also um, uh, a fear even a sort of paralysis when it comes to the sort of pastoral challenge uh, and I'm sympathetic to this because the reality is in a, in a church of any size it's almost guaranteed statistically they're going to be women they've had abortions yeah. men who've yeah. fathered uh, you know, babies who've been aborted, people who've encouraged abortions or turn a blind eye. So, you know, I mean, compare it to another difficult subject, like let's think about sexuality. Okay. So statistically, if you're in a reasonably large church, there might be one or two people who are perhaps same sex attracted or have a history Mm -hmm. in that area, or maybe are currently struggling with such temptations or, or, or engaged in that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe, you know, one or two people in a, in a large church, there might be. But on an issue like this, even in a a reasonable size church, there's gonna be a handful of people, um, maybe a dozen people uh, who've had abortions. So you, you've got this kind of, you know, you're looking out uh, at a congregation before you're preaching, you think here, a, a large number of people here are affected very deeply by this. And I think a lot of pastors actually just feel sort of it equipped to deal with yeah. that, you know, even yeah. if they want to, there's a genuine fear. I think, that, well, if I open my mouth, I'm going to make things even worse. I'm going to sort of put my foot in it. I'm going to make them feel even worse. I'm going to um, heap up guilt and so on. I I, I can understand that um, because, you know, a lot of these, these pastors have not been taught about it themselves. You know, it's, it's not talked about in Bible colleges and so on. So there's a bit of a sort of cycle of silence, but I think we have to come back to um, a few key convictions, you know, and I think above all, is the gospel big enough for this? Is, is the grace of God strong enough for this? Is the Holy Spirit able to minister to someone who's had an abortion? And of course, absolutely, yes. The gospel is big enough for this. And if we really believe that and if we exercise that belief, um, that, that makes all the difference. Mm. Um, that you know the tr- the truth does set us free, um, and and I think that comes right down to the point of someone who's struggling with guilt and shame and and so on. Actually, silence is not the best way to help that person. You know, yeah. I think I think I think so often we're conned by this myth of neutrality. We think that to say nothing is neutral. I'm not going to make things worse if I just say nothing. If I sit still, of course, the reality is is not to speak, is to speak. If you stay silent about abortion, that's communicating something. Mm. Mm. Either it suggests that this is not a big deal, there's nothing to see here, um, you know, this doesn't matter. And that doesn't help those women because actually they know what a big deal this is. I've spoken with women, I I, I spoke to one on the streets just the other day in our education display. She must've been in her 70s, I don't know, yeah, probably seventies. She had an abortion forty years ago and she said it was raw. Oh, mm. bless her. Wow. Mm. You know, it was as if it was yesterday. Yeah. And I've spoken to many women of that kind of age, and they said you're the first person I've ever spoken to about this. For decades they've they've held that in silence. They 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 haven't felt able to speak about it with anyone. Now, that silence hasn't helped them. So so silence it can it can sort of almost um actually trivialize that suffering and suggest, well, you know, you're on your own because you might think it's a big deal, but none of us think it's important enough to speak about it. Or it kind of conveys almost the opposite, which is, this is such a big deal, we can't help you. The gospel's not big enough for you. And again, that's not true. So I think if we begin to see silence itself as a thing and as a damaging thing, then maybe we'll be less afraid to speak and we'll think actually silence isn't an option. And again, we might need to get some information, some help, whatever, we've got to speak on this um for for the women in our congregations the men and then of course also for the babies you know we're not going to help the babies by being silent but even just for the for the adults in the room the gospel's big enough and and actually when we raise the issue that's the beginning of a healing journey which is a a wonderful thing to be a part of
0: yeah yeah amen because that that, that's when we're holding out the words of life isn't it and the, the truth and saying you know this this comes to bear on on all of life yeah. Um, and this is what you do with Breath Frost, isn't it? you equipping churches to be able to respond to this and, and find a way to um, pastorally work through this and, and bring it to light, bring it into the light.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's our bread and butter, really. So um, I've, I've taught on abortion in some 60 or 70 churches and... And what I find is there's often a, a fair bit of apprehension before the events. You know, people are nervous. We've never talked about this before. How's mm-hmm. it going to go down? But I find that after the event, people are overwhelmingly positive and grateful, including those who've had abortions. Again, many, I, I remember one church, a, a woman came up to me who was maybe in her, again, 60s, 70s, I don't know, had an abortion many, many years ago. And she said, every 16-year-old girl in the country needs to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. often it's it's the very... People we're most afraid of upsetting or, or or, or hurting or whatever, th- that are most grateful when we when we do actually face the subject. So yeah, that's that's what we do. We um, we go and teach in churches, or we help pastors to, to do it themselves. So we've got resources we're very happy to share with people. Um, we can we've got a kind of short training course we can give to, to, to pastors to teach on this, and we're just so keen to help um, churches, teachers, because we, we, we absolutely believe in the local church. The local church is God's plan A, there is no plan B, and only the local church can address this at all the levels that it needs to be addressed at. And so that's absolutely our our heart. And um, yeah, anyone listening in, please just be in touch and we'd love to help your church um, address this.
0: Yeah, totally, totally do that. Um, just before we move on to um, vaccine-related things we'd love to talk to you about um do you you have any comments about how abortion is talked about in schools often under the banner of um pshe
1: yes i mean we find it very difficult to get into schools we've managed to get into a few and it it really does come down to uh the individual you know head teacher and the teachers in question whether um, anything is really addressed properly on abortion or not. So we, we've heard some good examples where the, you know, the, the facts have been laid out very clearly. But I think most commonly what's happening is it's about half a lesson uh, and they go straight to opinions. That's my problem yeah. with it. It goes straight to, let's set up a debate. Okay, pro-choice side, pro-life side, off you go without even establishing the basic facts. I mean, to me, I'd rather it was in a science lesson and they just showed the facts than they had a sort of debate about it, devoid of the facts. Yeah. And so I've been really encouraged and inspired by some young people who've got in touch who are bravely, you know, wading into the abortion debate in their classroom. You know, they, they're able to host a debate on this, that, or whatever. And they've chosen this, you know, they've chosen to go go for it with abortion. And so we've we've helped those people with some you know, stats and pictures and whatever else. Um, but yes, the, it's, it's ever so clear from the young people we speak to on the streets. Uh, I often ask them, have you, did they ever teach you this in school? have you ever seen this before? Most of them say no. Most of them say there was nothing, uh, or if there was something very superficial. So there's a real need. And again, that's, that's why it's so critical for the local church to be teaching on this. We cannot yeah. depend on the, the schools to do it, and certainly not to do it properly. And yeah. it's why public education is so important because again we, you 're never going to get this um, unless there 's a miracle you know on mainstream television or in the the public uh school system uh people seeing even the basic reality, let alone sort of thinking it through
0: yeah yeah we, and yeah, like I say, it comes back to the church engaging with this vital topic because um certainly particularly secondary schools but increasingly sadly primary schools but definitely secondary schools it, it's 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 a cultural war zone now. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm struck <clears throat> how different it is from um, my my eldest boy, who's mid-teens, to my to my youngest, who started secondary school um, a couple of years ago. And the difference is yeah. is huge between what it was like when my eldest started and equipping young people in church who want to follow Jesus, who want to understand truth, who want to stand up for what is right under god this is why we have to be talking about it as a church isn't it it's so absolutely it's so and again key. there
1: is no neutral no. you know i think that's so key there's no neutral and we've a lot of us have fallen for the the narrative that schools just teach the facts you know we'll we'll, we'll leave the religious stuff to the parents but we just teach the facts it it's not true that the, the worldview that underpins you know these these different ideologies and so on it permeates every subject right yeah. through to you know history and even science um yeah so we we've got to we've got to be proactive and and, and take responsibility there yeah definitely
2: mm. yeah definitely you're right um just changing tack a little bit um we've talked on this podcast quite a bit about um the covid vaccines and um coming back to what we were talking about earlier with how many people in church followed lockdown mask mandates distancing Um, And we also heard quite a a lot about the vaccines um, potentially being, you know, a gift from God, giving thanks to God for the vaccines. Um, We've mentioned on our podcast before the use of cell lines from an aborted baby girl in the development of the COVID vaccines. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, thank you for raising that. You know, when, when, when we talk about this, often people don't even really believe what we're saying. Um, mm-hmm. as if it's some kind of conspiracy theory or something that they think's been debunked um, by the BBC. There, there was an article by the BBC attempting to, to discredit this, this idea and it's, it's a very dishonest article. But it's actually, uh, this is not contentious what I'm about to say. It's very easy to, for people to look this up online. In fact, it's in the very name of the cell line. So it's H-E-K-293. Now H-E-K stands for human embryonic kidney. And, uh, and, so, and 293 refers to the sort of, that's the number of, of experiments that this particular scientist conducted. And so um, this, this cell line is, is very easy to kind of um, read up on. Um, it's, uh, it, it was a, a cell line which originated in the kidney of a, a healthy uh, baby girl who was aborted. Um, we don't know the exact stage of, of gestation um, but obviously developed enough to have a developed kidney from which to harvest cells, and and what happens is, in in sort of very simple terms, these cells are are kind of cultured and sort of manipulated to reproduce rapidly. And so, although the the baby girl, of course, died at that point, these cells were kept alive and they formed this kind of culture, this continuous cell line, which has been alive to this day. And the, and these these fetal, as they called fetal cell lines. Um, provide um, an environment very conducive to the development of vaccines. And so all the three major uh, jabs used in the UK, so Pfizer, Moderna, and the Oxford AstraZeneca, all three of them used um, this this fetal cell line, either in the development phase uh, only, sorry, development and testing phases, or uh, in the testing phase only. Um, and and these these cell that's a historic cell line that's been a, a, around for a few decades. Um, there are uh, new fetal cell lines being created all the time, and so in very recent history, new fetal cell lines have been created um, all around the world. And um, in America, for example, you can read about how uh, federal funding um, is providing for ongoing um, what they call research, fetal research, including the creation of fetal cell lines. Around the world, and so it's not as though this is just something that happened a few decades ago. Uh, and you know, okay, there's this there's this material that's still around the place. Um, organ harvesting from babies is a current practice, and and again, we need to be really clear on the facts here. That is to say, babies are tortured alive for their cells before finally being killed. And and the reason I say that is for these fetal cell lines to be successful so-called um the cells need to be as fresh as possible which means you have to get to those cells really need to get that organ while the baby is still alive otherwise Mm. you you jeopardize the freshness and the efficacy of those of those cells so these and and we've got evidence of this in the states you know um uh, planned parenthood caught red-handed they alter the way in which they perform abortions so as to access certain organs as fresh as possible. We've got an example of a new fetal cell line called Wowvax-2 um, uh, in in China uh, just a few years ago. Uh, nine baby girls um, aborted um, uh, and uh, they were they, they were delivered through what's called a water bag abortion. So delivered alive in the gestational sac, mm. and dissection has taken place whilst they're still alive to get that lung tissue. So this, this is a barbaric practice. Um, and again, people didn't want to know about this. There's that kind of apathy. There's that kind of wall of, you know, we don't want to look, we don't want, this is inconvenient to say the least, if this Mm -hmm. is true, but it is true and it's going on today. And so as I say, it's arguably, it'd be one thing. It was just something that happened a few decades ago and never happened again, but it's an ongoing practice. It's an ongoing culture. Um and the, the the links between many of these big pharma companies and the abortion industry and 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 various governments, it's it's an unholy alliance to say the least. Mm. And I think we as consumers have to take responsibility for the part we have to play in that.
2: Yeah, It's really shocking, isn't it? I know I've heard some people saying, Oh well, um, you know, it was the wrong like about the H E K two Nine Three that you spoke about. Oh, well, that was done decades ago. And you know that was wrong, but but some good is coming from that now. As if as if well, it but it wouldn't happen now. But that's just not true, is it?
1: No. no. So how
2: do we, as Christians, um, y- you know, how do we 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 know that that those cell lines have been used for the COVID vaccines? Presumably, they have for for other medicines as well. Wh- wh- yes. How do we navigate that?
1: Yeah. So um, so as far as I have been able to 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 ascertain um so you know as many parents you know you were offered all sorts of routine jabs for, for your children and so on uh the only one i'm aware of in the in the uk one of the so in terms of the routine ones that that has a similar history is the mmr um and that will depend on probably you know uh that may not have been the case because obviously it's a combination of jabs so whether mm. it was the case 10 years 20 years ago whatever but you know in terms of when we when we were having to look into these things for our children. Um, that was the only one we we found the same thing was going on with that jab. So it's, it, this is by no means the only way you can make vaccines. There are, there are lots of ways of making vaccines without this stuff. There are even some COVID-19 vaccines out there in the world that didn't use this fetal cell line, just none of the ones that are available in this country. So it's not as though every vaccine uses this, but um certainly the, the MMR one has a similar history. Um, as for other medicines, you will see again, I mean, I, and I think this is quite telling that when it comes to this whole area, the sort of the, the myths and legends and sort of uh, straw men that you see everywhere, hmm. um, it does show that there's a resistance to just facing this issue, honestly. So as you say, some people say, oh, it just happened a few decades ago. It's not happening now. So, but that's just simply not true. It's just a misstatement of the facts, you know, new fetal cell lines are being created today um another another kind of um well this is more of a well yeah it's a, it's a different kind of misstatement of the facts is is people then want to kind of suggest, well, th- these fusel cell lines are just everywhere, every single medicine uses them again, that's not actually true um and here's where you have to get a bit you know uh precise with 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 the details, because take, for example you know so I've seen some lists where they've they've tried to claim pretty much every medicine under the sun use these fetal cell lines when some of them were actually created, you know, hundred years ago, you know, before these fetal <laughs> cell lines ever <laughs> existed. So what they're actually talking about there is, you know, someone may have performed experiments, you know, using a certain medicine and this fetal cell line, you know, decades after that product actually came to market. So it wasn't as though it coming to market this year, for example, was dependent on using that fetal cell line, but rather once it was already in the market, some random or somewhere you know decided to do some more experiments with it together with this fetal cell line which is you know akin to you know a car manufacturer can't be held accountable for someone drink driving with their car you know what someone does with it later that's that's their business so you do have to look at the details a bit sometimes with with some of these these claims um but yeah for for my wife and i there was only one other um vaccine um that, that we we had to sort of make a similar decision with Hmm. Mm. Okay. And,
0: and just just going back to that that question that Helen asked about, like, in terms of I suppose where does where do you believe that the judgment of God fits in with the kind of the COVID vaccine in particular, because of the situation that unfolded, because mm. very much that it it was a widely accepted narrative within many churches. Oh, you know. You know, like Helen was saying, oh, we 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 mm. praise God for the vaccine, uh, mm. and I have to be honest. I mean, at the time, I felt uncomfortable about that. I just felt uncomfortable anyway. Without, I didn't know at the time about the H E the K two nine three. But do you have any do you have any
1: thoughts on that one? Um, yes, um, I do. I mean, I my sort of uh, understanding of of these things. I'm just I'm just getting something up here actually because you've reminded me of something. I actually wrote quite a long time ago um, about the vaccines because I, I was involved in a debate with um, Professor John Wyatt about the, the ethics of these um, vaccines. So we didn't talk about safety at all. Mm-hmm. It was not about safety. I was, I was very clear the terms of the debate. We were just talking about the ethics of using these fetal cell lines. And I had no particularly strong view on, on the safety side of things. I mean, you know, I considered to, them to be obviously very new, experimental, untested. Certainly initially, we weren't conscious of lots of side effects, you know, early on. So I, to begin with, my my concerns were chiefly ethical. And Whenever I spoke about it, it was always that. But likewise, when I heard people giving thanks for the vaccine and saying, it's you know, that God did this, and some people even using the terms like miracle, this is a miracle, mm, yes. you know, it's yeah, come so did. quickly. Yeah. And yeah. I felt very uneasy about chiefly because of the... Um, the ethical stuff we've been talking about. But even aside from that, I think there was a kind of a hysteria, sort of the sort of scientism, the worship of the doctors, you know, the NHS is our savior, this mm. kind of, this kind of, um, the, yeah, that that whole sort of you know, clapping the NA, NHS and, you know, the, these guys are the ones who are gonna get us through. Uh, I felt very uneasy with that. Now, I'm just getting something up here because at the time, um, I, I really uh, was concerned first and foremost about the, the ethics, but then secondly, about the sort of, the, the danger of idolatry, really, that we were um, uh, idolizing um, the vaccine and the medical profession. Yeah. Um, and, and I, at the time I said, um, so silver bullet, golden calf, so silver bullet or golden calf, is the vaccine our way out of this? And I, I looked to Isaiah 30 and 31 which really says, you know, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Um, talking about Egypt as, you know, le- the one who depends on Egypt will be like leaning on a, a, a splintered reed. You know, it's going to yeah. bruise your hand. Yeah, yeah. this is going to backfire, basically. Um, now, um, I, I don't want to sort of, um, yeah, I don't want to sort of claim this was this was in any sense a sort of um, a prediction or or anything like that. Um, But I'm just finding here because I, I, I basically said I was I wouldn't be surprised if this. So whereas some people saying this is the way out, including Christians, mm. saying you know this is, this is what's going to get us through. And I remember some prominent Christian leaders saying, well, I'm thankful for the vaccine because if thanks to it I can go and visit my mother or my grandmother or whatever it is, and it's it, this is the golden ticket. So everything we want, this is going to get our freedoms back. Yeah. Um, and, and so this idea that it's the way out. Um. So, uh, and the question is you know is this is this is this what's going to kind of improve our situation um, isaiah thirty fifteen tells us plainly in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength but the the verse finishes on a poignant note, but you would have none of it. My sense is that actually the vaccine couldn't be the lord's way out of this because it's ethically compromised mm-hmm. and because it's tied up in this idolatry of the the NHS, um, Isaiah thirteen thirty one actually say that, um, because, because going down to Egypt was not the Lord's plan. Um, it, it, the Lord said that Egypt would be utterly useless, uh, to them. And, uh, uh, I'm just trying to find this, this bit here. So yeah, I, I think, I think, um, rather than being a way out here, it is, um, even if we were to lay aside ethical concerns to do the vaccine, the absence of repentance alone, the fact that, that, that we're not repenting means that vaccine cannot be our way out of the crisis. Um, yeah. Indeed, with its connection to child sacrifice, it may well drag us deeper into uh, complicity, uh, complacency and compromise. So I, 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 I feared that it may backfire even just at the healthcare level. Yeah, And I think we're beginning to see now Okay, this clearly far from being the way out we've seen you know excess deaths are consistently uh high aren't they in recent weeks they, and they I, are. I think it's there a is a tragedy sense of, I think there is a sense of us bringing judgment upon ourselves by not listening to the very clear warning uh signs of, of of the the ethics of the of these vaccines and and putting our trust in them
0: yeah and 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 again, it comes back to this kind of inconsistency as as it is the, the wider church, I guess, <clears throat> because we uh, struggle to see how we expect God to bless a situation that is that is dishonoring to to him. And and like you say, without repentance, without actually saying, wow, we've really we've messed up. We've got to go back. We've got to turn around. We've got to start doing what we should be doing. Stop doing what we have started doing. Um we are perhaps, maybe, kidding ourselves to think that that God, God is going to bless us, and I, I think that's separate to God's kind of common grace gives all of us that we that our heart beats another beat. Praise the Lord for that. But yeah, so that that does make that does make a lot of sense, Dave. That does make a lot of sense.
2: Dave, thinking about the uh, impact of the lockdowns, the um, you mentioned a bit about it before the abortion at home was introduced as a temporary measure at the beginning, I think, of the first lockdown. And I read that from August 2022, this was made a permanent provision for abortions under 10 weeks. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yes. So this was uh, literally within days of, um, you know, pandemic um, emergency measures being announced. The the abortion industry had been waiting for this. Um, they've long wanted what they call telemedicine or pills by post, because what really what this does is this enables them to send abortion pills to, in practice, anyone who requests them. And so th- there's no requirement for a scan or any kind of consultation. There's no evidence of how many weeks pregnant a woman is is supposed to be, though, it, as, you, as you mentioned, it's, these are meant to be first trimester abortions but there have been all sorts of stories of women taking them way beyond that that limit um, but 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 really in terms of a, a business idea for the abortion industry at least in the short term uh, it's a no-brainer they, they 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 still get paid the same amount for their abortions so you're talking about 500 pounds uh an abortion um but but now that's that's just the cost of two pills and postage and packaging you know and, and a quick phone call so so it it reduces their overheads considerably. Um and then it's left to the NHS. Um so the NHS pays for for all abortions, well, 98% of abortions, but through the providers. So BPASS, that's the British Pregnancy Advisory Service and Mary soaps International. So the NHS is already paying them to then perform the abortions. What happens now is the NHS is left to pay once again to pick up the pieces, quite literally. Because one in seventeen of those women who who take these pills um, by post uh, have to go to hospital because of complications. So the, the sort of so-called failure rate, um, you know, these abortions failing to be completed at home just by use of the pills is huge. And uh, hundreds of women, in fact, thousands of women over the last couple of years have had to go to hospital um, to, for, for 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 the job to be finished off. So this is not only a, a, a brutal treatment of, of course, the unborn children, but also shows um, a real um, lack of concern for the health of the mothers too. So this is a really significant change that, as you say, has now been made permanent um, for for the, the health of, of women, but also there's the, the accountability and the transparency of, of that in-person consultation that's now been removed. So again, this is, this is great news for abusers, for pimps, for those who are um, who are in in sort of uh, domineering relationships, where um, it's very easy to to force someone to take these pills against their against their will, um, so th- this is this is good for everyone apart from um, the mothers and the babies.
2: Hmm. It's shocking, isn't it? I, I've heard some awful stories of. Uh, women being left well. Anyone who's had a miscarriage knows how awful it can be, and women mm. left in terrible pain, and mm. like you say, having to go to hospital.
1: Yeah, these are very powerful drugs. You know, again, the the abortion industry wants to trivialise it. Mm. I say, look, take these pills. It's just like having a period. You know, you'll be back to work in no time. Um, but the, these are powerful drugs, and um, and yeah, the complication rate is 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 through the roof.
2: Mm. Just um, to finish, really, Dave. On, on, I think what is the the most important thing for us to just talk about um, the issues of of guilt and most importantly, issues of forgiveness, um, which is so important for us to be talking about in the church. And like you said, statistically, if we think about it, there must be many people. So in in any any congregation in a church, or just or people we know, there are going to be mothers who've undergone abortions. There will be fathers whose child was aborted, sometimes against their will. There will be siblings who may discover that they had a sibling who was aborted. Um, grandparents, relatives, friends who've been involved in decisions may may have pressured mothers, or or may have tried to persuade mothers against it and then of course medics who've been involved in procedures so um if we're not talking about this issue how how can people find healing and forgiveness and how should we in the church be supporting people who are affected
1: yeah thank you i I think what you touched on there is 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 so helpful because you know our culture and the abortion industry wants us to believe that this is just a private decision between a woman and her doctor and that's the end of it but as you say there is a list of people so deeply affected it's the mothers Mm -hmm. it's the fathers it's the grandparents the friends the sisters the siblings and that ripples through the generations and so yeah there are so many people affected by this at so many levels and if we stay silent about it, we make it almost impossible for those people to, to access um, the forgiveness and healing and wholeness that is available to them. You know, the scripture says, faith comes through hearing, hearing from, you know, preaching the word. So it, it, it's, it's fundamental that if people do not hear the message, And it's not enough just to say they hear the gospel generally because we need to hear the gospel preached into this issue specifically Mm. because otherwise, again, it implies that the gospel doesn't, you know, reach as far as this. It doesn't go as deep as this, but of course we know it does. So it's so important that, that those who are charged with preaching the word, pastors, vicars, whatever, um, please engage this issue. The gospel is big enough. People need to hear it. And, um, and 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 god god's word doesn't return empty so you know Mm. when we preach this confidently that the gospel is big enough that his grace is sufficient into this area we are um you know under god's ordained means of how, how he operates we're then giving as it were the holy spirit the space and the opportunity um to to minister in that area but you know that's how God's ordained this this to work. You know, in almost all cases, people come to believe in Christ in the first place because someone's preached to them, okay? Occasionally you get a dream. Occasionally they might have a visitation from an angel, but, you know, the, the ordained means under God is, you know, someone gets sent to preach. And so it is with this specific area. We we cannot really, truly close. That we've got full confidence in the gospel and and genuine wholehearted love for our sisters and brothers in Christ, if we're not helping them to access that forgiveness and healing, by speaking into it. Now that goes for, of course for preachers, but also um, for for you know for brothers and sisters in fellowship. You know if it's not happening from the pulpit in your church, I encourage I encourage you to to meet with your pastor and, and and ask. Well, can we look at this? You know, what does Scripture have to say? What do you think about this issue? Um, but as well as that you know, we're commanded to, to, to sing to one another, aren't we? Songs and hymns and Psalms and to speak truth to one another in love. Mm. And, um, we can all be, as it were, preachers of the gospel to each other. And I just want to encourage people to open up this issue. Um, and to give, especially those who've had abortions, the opportunity to share, to talk about it and, uh, to be able to pray with them, um, in terms of, of, of helping people in a slightly more kind of, um, intentional way on this particular issue, I can commend our sister ministry to you post abortion support for everyone pace. People can get in touch with that. Uh, my friend Pauline runs that ministry and she had an abortion about 50 years ago. In fact, I think it was 50 years ago this year. Um, and she loves to help people to access the same forgiveness and, and wholeness that she has come to know in Jesus. So I just really encourage those who've had abortions to reach out and to talk to someone and reach out to us. We'd love to help. Um, But also share it with your pastors, share it with people in your church. And um, together we can break the silence on this. We can break that sort of taboo. And and as we do that, we're we're opening up the space, as it were, for the word of God and the spirit of God uh, to minister powerfully. And I'm excited for the day when there's going to be Testimony after testimony from the front of church, um, giving glory to God for his grace and his power at work in those who've been down this road. And so often it's those women and men who go on to be the most powerful advocates for, for the babies as well. And, mm. uh, and, you know, again, we're uniquely placed, we're uniquely equipped as the people of God to engage this issue because not only do we have um, hope in what the Lord's going to do. At the end of the age, bring justice and and peace and and put all things to rights. We've got we've got the ability to face the darkness because of that hope. we've also got um the the reality of grace that we we, we can approach this um as sinners saved by grace. We're all in the same boat. Mm. We all need grace. Yeah. Mm. We're 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 all the same at the foot of the cross. And so um not only do we have the hope that this is ultimately gonna end well, we've also got that sense of you know genuinely we can approach this justice issue with without a hint of of superiority or any kind of judgmentalism because actually the grace of god levels us all and um and and, i'm 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 just i'm fortunate to be here myself you know this is by the grace of god yeah um i'm here and uh and so we can minister that grace to each other and together we can stand for for those who, who can't stand for themselves.
0: Yeah. Amen. Well look, Dave, that that is a that's a great note to, to end this um this podcast on um ministering grace and uh ministering in, in truth and being there for one another. Um can you can you just tell us briefly how where people can find you, how they can support your your ministry and we'll obviously we'll put links into the, the podcast notes, but it'd just be great to hear direct from you first before we do
1: that yeah thank you so much and yeah just really appreciate you having me on here so thank you for your, your generosity and your time um breathos.org is, is is our website so b-r-e-p-h-o-s um breathos.org and uh, we've got a, a weekly podcast as well called about abortion if you just search about abortion brefos or about abortion brennan um you should find that on any platform it's on youtube as well Um, so yeah, find us there and please be in touch. We, we really, you know, we really want to help churches to engage this, this issue. So don't hesitate to send me an email or, or drop me a call or something. And, um, we're really keen to help churches to start talking about this. So yeah, breathos.org. And, um, from there, you should be able to find all sorts of helpful resources for engaging this issue, learn about the facts and, uh, and you can join the movement um to see an end to this. You know, I haven't talked mm-hmm. much about our public education work today, but if you go to cbruk.org slash join J-O-I-N, um, you can sign up there, get access to our free training, apologetics, activism, and you can be connected to other uh, like-minded people in your sort of locality okay. and get involved in, in doing some 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 work, be that just doing some postcarding locally right up to joining a public education team and going out there and, and engaging members of the public and seeing hearts and minds change, you know, h- however you're placed, there's, there's an activity we can, we can get you involved with. Okay.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll link to all those things. Um, like we said in, in, in the, uh, in the notes of the podcast, but Dave, look, thank you so much for giving your time to do this. It's been great to, um, to hear you speak on 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 this and i'm sure there's there's it will be really encouraging for our listeners it'll be really thought-provoking i definitely know that and um yeah just really encourage all all listening to this to go and seek out um dave's ministry Brefros and uh, go and find out more about um this vital vital issue um so i think that that is pretty much it isn't it helen from us you can yeah. find us in the usual uh place we'll put the links in the uh on the pop notes um you've got the telegram group which you can join if you want and got helen subsack um and we will have i missed anything i normally miss something at this point i nope, think no. that's it thank I you I so it. much dave yeah thanks Your dave pleasure. thank um, you so much um, we'll see you guys on the next one
1: Bye. The Owl and the Badger.